my name is Thomas Meyer, and you're listening to Cuyamaca Conversations. My guest here today is local musician Manny Cepeda. He's a multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, and teaches at Grossmont College. He performs originals and covers regularly throughout San Diego and at various events with his band, the Manny Cepeda Orchestra. How are you doing, Manny? I'm doing great. Thank you. Of course. So I've realized I've known you for quite a while now, mm-hmm. and I feel like I know very little about your history and your background. And I just, I mean, when I got the opportunity to interview someone for this class, I immediately thought of you because just I know so little about your background. So I just, I guess I just kind of wanted to ask you about that throughout the course of this interview. Well, I'm very honored you, you thought of me. And uh, like I said, we know each other for quite a while. So um, where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And um, it was uh, from a little town, you know, I mean, uh, in the area of Puerto Rico. It's one of the most beautiful areas and actually one of the poorest areas mm-hmm. in there. And um, when did you first start playing music? Ooh, well, let me see. My mom used to sing to me to bed. And uh, so as, as early as I can remember, I started doing music when I was five years old. Mm-hmm. And what was your first instrument? Oh, my first instrument? Well, this is going to be funny. It was uh, three basic uh, soda cracker boxes. Okay, if you can imagine, they were about this high or so. And they were full of rice. And that was my first drum set. Okay, mm-hmm. that was actually my first drum set. And then um, I started, you know, officially, my first instrument was clarinet. Because really? that was the one that uh, I studied in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the music community like when you were growing up in Puerto Rico? The music scene was amazing. You know, you're talking about music in the 60s, in the 70s. Um, the Fania All-Stars, I don't know if you... Yeah, I'm yeah, I've sure you're familiar I think you've Fania. told me about that. Yeah, Fania All-Stars were all these... Uh, Salsa players like Hector Lavoe, Tito Puente, Celia oh Cruz, God. all the heavies that are still today emulated by, by many people. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with that. I used to go to concerts for free and see oh all these God. people live all the time. That's amazing. And I know a lot of those names because we've played, I'm in the Afro-Cuban ensemble at Grossmont mm-hmm. with you, and we've played a lot of those songs in our classes. Correct. So I have, I have a great respect for that music, and it's amazing to be with someone who knows about that music so much. And well, it's, it's not an easy type of music, neither, is it? No, it's definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. So how long did you live in Puerto Rico? Um, from uh, when I was born until about 18 years old. And then at 18 years old, uh, I was already in the Conservatory of Music in Puerto Rico. And I auditioned for a scholarship to come to a national music camp called Interlochen in Michigan. And I was able to get the audition. I played a, a solo for timpani, a Jacques Delaclaus, solo for timpani, for five timpanis. And I was accepted, and that's what was, that was my introduction to the United States. So how long did you live in the um, United States? Well, the first time that I was here, I was here for one year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came directly from Puerto Rico <laughs> to Traverse City, Michigan. It's about uh, 30 or 40 degrees difference. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, yes. I thought I had a good coat, but mm-hmm. no. <laughs> it was pretty, pretty cold out there. 
and uh, over by the lakes in Michigan, which you know is going to be pretty cool. And yeah, yeah. So I uh, I performed there. I I took instruction on percussion, and especially timpani, which is you know what's my instrument. But uh, we did ballet, we did uh, band, we did uh, form and analysis, counterpoint, um, all the music, all the teaching that you will get in a conservatory of music we were doing it as you know just graduated out of high school so um you were in that conservatory for one year and then you moved back to puerto rico or what did you do yes. after that yes i did uh after we finished the uh, interlocking um i moved back to puerto rico and i was playing with a lot of bands mm-hmm. and i was playing so much it was it, it wasn't funny it, but uh one thing i started missing was you know my mom was told me you Get, get an education. And uh, luckily enough, one of my teachers in Interlochen uh, also was the head of the percussion department at Illinois State University. Oh, really? And he uh, corresponded with me and said, how would you like to come to the United States on a full scholarship on music? And I said, yes, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. And that's, uh, so in 19... 1960, uh, 1970, I came to the U.S. So you studied at Illinois State University, mm-hmm. and how was the experience there? It was great. It was um, what do you call the Renaissance, I guess, of of age and everything. Um, seeing four foot snow drift like I never seen before. Um, a new language. I was uh, placed at an international house, uh, so I. I was together with students from all over the world, China, um, India, Germany. And um, I was doing, you won't believe this, but I was doing 21 and a half hours a semester. And then I was also doing eight hours in the summer. And we had a post section and I was doing six. So I, I, because I didn't have that much money, I finished the the four-year degree in two. Two wow, years. Yeah. that's incredible. But all I did, all I did was just work, sleep, study, practice. And I repeated that <laughs> 24 hours a day. That's amazing. So um, what did you do after you graduated from Illinois State University? It was 1973, and the draft was still on. <laughs> and um, basically, see, I did a couple of 400-level courses, so I was doing a master's degree already and three hours after i got my diploma i got sworn in in wow. the military um i was you know they at least they asked me you know you want to come to the navy or army or what do you want and i said i don't care what you take me as long as you take me somewhere where it's warm okay <laughs> and uh, so they put me on the navy and guess where i came to boot camp where san diego california san diego <laughs> It's very strange because 31 years after that, I retired in San Diego, California. So wow. I did a full entire circle. So what was it like? Because I know you did music in the Navy. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I didn't know the, the Navy had a music program. Mm-hmm. So I came in just to do my duty as any, you know, any person who was drafted. And I was going to, my plan was to do four years in the military and then just continue go back home and continue performing my company commander somehow or another saw my record 
And he asked me what was I doing there, and I said, I was kind of kind of strange. I said, well, you know, I'm, I was drafted. He said, no, no. What I mean is you have a master's degree in music, so why don't you audition for the Navy band? I said, There's a Navy band? <laughs> sure. I auditioned. So I did, and I got taken right on the spot. And then after I finished boot camp, instead of going to a ship, I went to a music uh, school in Norfolk, Virginia, which is where all the music uh, people are trained, Army, Air Force, uh, Marines, Navy. Mm-hmm. And it's called the Armed Forces School of Music. And um, they have three different courses. They have the basic course for people who are coming in, you know, just to get them back into, if they haven't been into music uh, or concentrated so much, refresh you real good, six months worth, lots of practice. It was required for you to do 12 hours a day of practice, which was great, you know. That plus classes. And then uh, out of that, they sent you out in the fleet, in my case, to my first band, which was in Norfolk, Virginia. And that band had a program that used to take the sailors, the musician sailors, to South America and West Africa on a cruise. You know, like you do a normal cruise on a ship, but we were performing. Uh, what it would do in a performance on a ship? That's a lot of things. You can do on the way replenishment while the ship is getting replenished by the other side. We're playing marches along the side. We have a thing called steel beach parties. Okay? So you're in the middle of the ocean, so you're in a beach, okay? But you're in a ship that's just built out of steel. So the, that's the reason it's called steel beach party. And this is where, you know, it was a Sunday and the sailors would take a quick break, you know, three hours. And we will, they will eat hamburgers and hot dogs. And we will play for them. And there we also played in the mess halls, which is their rest, like the restaurants. They had a restaurant for enlisted um, members and they had a restaurant for the officers. So the officers was called the war room. And uh, we would play out there and we also play uh, in the mess hall. So we were doing music. Our big job happened when we will get to port. Let's say we just uh, we sail off from Norfolk, and the first port we hit was uh, Puerto Rico. Well, there's military people there, so we will play what you call honors and ceremonies, which is uh, ruffles and flourishes. I don't know if anybody here is familiar with that. Uh, and when you see the president and you, he gets the music when he comes in, dun da dun da dun dun da dun da dun. Well, that's a ruffle. So he gets four. And he gets the, the music that belongs to him, held to the chief. So we used to do that to all the dignitaries that would come into the ship. And then after we were done with that, which that day probably started around 4 o'clock in the morning, then we would get to port, unload all our equipment from the ship into a truck, and do a minimum of two performances, public performances, for the general public on that day. And if we were there more or longer than a day, we will continue playing. And sometimes we'll get loaned out to the local military bands, and we will do concerts all over. So I ended up doing 306 concerts in six months. That's about three days. I included Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, Colombia, Venezuela, Panama. Peru, 
Brazil, um, all the way down to Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay. Then we cross over to West Coast. We go Dakar, Senegal, Libreville, uh, all the way down to South Africa, and then come back home. All that in six months. When I played the first, my first tour there, I was a, I was a snare drummer and and the drummer for the band. So we did a lot of rock and roll and uh, jazz. That was that was actually the Navy trained me as a jazz drummer. That was my train that I got. My Latin drumming was from home. So, and uh, I always thought when I did the first band, I said, "Wow, if I ever get to be the leader of this band." We're gonna do some salsa, merengue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And it did. It did happen. You know, after I kept ascending up on rank, I got to the point that I led the Navy Show Band, which is that—that that was the band that I was performing. I got to do um, five different uh, deployments as the leader. So you—you uh, you wouldn't believe to see straight ahead Americans doing salsa, doing cumbia, doing um, all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. So um, how long did you do these tours in the Navy? Is that all you did in the Navy? I did uh, seven years worth of that. Okay, when, and, and this is being stationed in the same place twice, because I, not, not sequentially, not all seven years in a row. So I did like three years first, went to another band, went to another band, came back to this band, and because they knew my corporate knowledge, they put me as that. The second time I went, I went as a leader. And, but I was stationed in Navy Band uh, Newport. I was stationed in Norfolk. I was stationed in Naples, Italy. This is all with Navy bands. Um, I was stationed in London. Um, where else? Uh, Chicago. Great Lakes. Uh, or else, uh, I think the only base that I didn't do was Florida. Everything else I did. I, I, I was the leader of the Navy Steel Band in New Orleans. Um, really good. Did three Mardi Gras out there. Ooh, crazy thing. And uh, what was the other one that was big? Uh, that Steel Band was really good. The Navy Show Band, those are premier bands. And I'm just lucky enough to be selected to be their leader. Yeah, that's quite an honor. I know at one point you worked for, um, is the musical director for Tito Puente when you were working in the Navy band? What was it like working with him? It actually was here in 2006. In, I was already in San Diego and Tito Puente Jr. came down and I knew his father. And he said, uh, my father told me you're awesome. So I need you to be my musical director here. I said, what we're going to do? Say, well, here's my book. All right. I put a band together. I was almost 50% civilian and 50% Navy because, in the, you know, I needed to put, it was five trumpets, five saxes, four trombones, full rhythm section. And we did a couple of concerts in a local club here. I don't think they no longer have the name, but we also did a couple of concerts in Anthology, which is now the Music Box. So when, when Music Box was the original venue which was called anthology we performed with him there too and are there any other major names that you've worked with throughout your career when i was young and i mean i'm talking about 14 
15 somewhere in there um i was well first of all i was had a late development so i i was four foot ten up to 18 years old you know very very tiny um and uh, i was i led my own bands in puerto rico i also got a chance to play with richie ray and i had a couple of performances with willie colon uh all in puerto rico and let me see i played on the national tv on an actual band that was like equivalent to the tonight show band i did that for two or three years and so so every single one of those venues it just took my reading chops to the point that still today almost 70 years after that i still have you know my my reading chop because i i did that much i did a show or a series of show in a hotel kind of like um like the casinos here now they do sequan and they have a, a band and uh it was i never forget the name san jeronimo hilton and we used to do a show called the laundromat the reason we call it that is the director move will move from one song to the other so fast that the only way you could do it is finish the tune throw the paper in the floor and he already counted the next tune so he did that for 10 tunes by the time you finished the show you had a pile of cheap music in front of you and it looked like a bunch of laundry so so we started calling it on it but uh, also in that same show um this director didn't take any prisoners i don't know if you understand what that means if anybody made a mistake there were people on the side waiting to take their spot okay uh, a trumpet player misses a note or something like that the next tune somebody else will come over and sit down he loses his job so it was like a buddy rich type of thing. Yeah. You know, no prisoner. It, it reminds me of the movie Whiplash. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was funny because when I got in, I was on the side. I was told, okay, come on over and come to the show and see, see if you get in. So, okay. You know, and I see people getting killed back and forth. I said, <laughs> okay. So when, I, when it was my turn, because with the drummer, something happened, what it was, I sat in and I read. But again, I was. I, my reading shops were just iron shops and i was in that show for two years and i left because i wanted not because i got thrown out so fast forward to um after the navy when you're in san diego um what did you first do when you were in san diego i came here ordered uh i didn't want to come to san diego and the reason i didn't want to come to san diego was because of the earthquakes hey i'm a i'm a hurricane baby you know, from Puerto Rico, you can you can tell when the hurricane is coming, so you can earthquake. Mm-mm, you can't do anything. So um, I came here to be the director of the Navy Band um, San Diego. It was called Navy Band San Diego then in 1998. The band was in a little trouble, and uh, I guess for lack of a better term, I was a fixer. Okay, and came up and cleaned up the mess and got the band. When I came in, the band was 23 members. And when I left, the band was 45. Yeah, but it was some, there was some, a couple of things, you know, but I, my job was to come here and clean up the band and get them working again. I'm getting playing and sounding good. And that's what I did. 
So in 19, in 2000, I met my wife here. Um, didn't know I was going to do that. But uh, so I was on my way to Naples, Italy, which is my, that was my last duty station before retirement, I thought. So I met her and we corresponded and she visited me a couple of times. So I requested uh, Navy Band San Diego again at the end of my 30 years. And they said, uh, well, can you stay one more year? I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, well, it served my purpose because then I will be here. And, yeah. and uh, that's how I finished. Uh, so I retired in 2005. Mm-hmm. Right here in San Diego. And when did you start teaching at Grossmont? 2005, the next month. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Derek, I've, I've already been playing with Derek Cannon, who is the chair of the, of, as you know, the Grossmont College uh, Music Department. Uh, but uh, the reason why is because when I was here in 98, I got a chance to perform with the Binational Mambo Band, mm-hmm. which is run by Bill Caballero. Um, probably I, you heard. Yeah, I've played his jam session before. Okay. Yeah. So I was I was his team ball player and musical director mm-hmm. of, uh, of him, and that's how I met Derek. So ne- Derek knew me from that. When Derek found out I was back in town, and I was going to retire, he said, "I have a job for you." See? <laughs> I haven't retired yet, Derek. I said, "I have a job for you," <laughs> and that's how I got here. Wow. What advice would you give to students in this class who are trying to work in the music industry? tenacity and don't give up and above all i would say study your brains out you only you know there's there's so many talented people out there and it's funny i don't i don't really consider myself that talented i had just just work i had really good work ethics and i practice in my in my best days I was, you know, well, the Navy allowed me to practice 12 hours in one day, which is great. Before that, I was doing eight hours without anybody telling me to do it, okay? So you, you, hopefully you're going to get good with that much practice on top of everything else. Uh, that also means that you must have a, a good mind to uh, schedule yourself, you know, um, doing so many things as I do right now. You had to have a, a good mind and, I don't know, be not respons- responsible, yes, but um, you know what you're doing, okay? And don't procrastinate. Uh, have a good plan of attack anywhere you go. And one thing that I, would, that I do more than anybody else, I am only a musician when I'm playing, okay? As soon as you... Or I, if you leave the piano, or if I leave my drums, you got to be business. Okay, you got to do business. That means you have to be on time. You have to come in with the right place. You you know, I got here. We had 12.45. I was here at 12.30 with plenty of time to call and everything. Um, If I have a gig at 9, I'm usually there an hour before. And I, when I got here into, when I got into San Diego, the first time, I had what you call culture shock uh, from East Coast to the West Coast. In East Coast, you, you're told that gig starts at 5.30, you're there at 4.30 or before. In the West Coast, you start at 5.30, you get there 15 minutes before. 
I mean, the gigs I've played, they usually start like 20, 30 minutes late. Yeah. In my yeah. Experience. And, you know, I mean, a trumpet player, a trumpet player to get there at 15 minutes before the gig, that's crazy. You know, at least even as a drummer, I had to warm up. So, and then you also had to make sure that you foresee the unforeseeable. You know, am I going to have a flat tire? Am I going to get there with enough time? You know, management. Management is. So that's, I would say, study, practice, and learn management. Go and take a management class somewhere. It has nothing with music, but at least it will tell you how to manage your time properly. And you'll be successful. Um, so I know your album was recorded with musicians in both the United States and in Puerto Rico. What was it like recording across international borders? Oh, it was great. It was great. I mean, here you have the, the jazz, uh, at, at least in San Diego, you had the jazz and Afro-Cuban influences. Uh, I went to Puerto Rico because my first city, uh, I needed to be home because my, the whole reason of my first city was for me to go back to my roots. And, uh, and that city was made with piano, bass, the Afro-Cuban drums, and three trombones, because that's all required. Uh, the type of music that I did, uh, bomba and plena, which is from my family, from my family tradition. So, um, and I was, you know, I haven't been in Puerto Rico maybe two to three years, and I never done a recording there. Oh my gosh, did I get blown out of my brains when I'm showing these guys over here uh, this music, and within two hours, the 10 tunes are done. And then most of the time, they did one take on things. Um, I only had two trombone players, so there were a couple of tunes that had three trombones. So when one, they both divided each other. Okay, you take this one for the third, and, you take, and when they did the third, one take. That was all. It was like, wow. So this is a kind of, and then we have a, we have a name for them, which in, I know, I'm going to tell you the translation, but we call them caballos. Okay, and anybody know what caballo is? It's a horse. Okay, that's the kind of player we have in Puerto Rico. Uh, hungry, study, sharp, discipline, all that stuff, you know, all in one. Here's 11 o'clock in the morning, and these guys are, playing the heck out of this stuff. You know, I didn't play, I didn't write an easy part neither for once. High B flats, Ds, I did it. The second one, Padre Querido, was, I made that CD for my father. Uh, heavy, heavy Afro-Cuban. All the experiences that I have while I was traveling to Africa and South America and Puerto Rico and the U.S. and the East Coast, and mid and west coast all wrapped up into one city that's what padre querido is and when i submitted it to the latin grammys uh it wasn't not just salsa it was salsa fusion because as you i know you heard the cd yeah i love that record. you go you can go from a salsa into a wawanko which is afro-cuban and then back to uh, the other one is mozambique which is african and there's a song that I wrote called El Mero Mero. And Mero Mero is a term used in, in Southern California, meaning the real McCoy. So having the Mexican influences, 
I'm playing salsa, and what do I do at the end of the tune? I put a da 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 which is the identity of Mexico. So again, fusion into it. So that's that's what the second city. Now I had some monsters, some caballos in that city in Puerto Rico. I had the lead trumpet player of Arturo Sandoval. What's the lead trumpet player? He has the goal to tell me, was that okay? <laughs> I'm going like, you're kidding me. <laughs> and then the other trumpet player was the lead trumpet player of Juan Luis Guerra. The two trombones from Juan Luis Guerra. Um, the vocalist, I know if I tell you the name, probably you don't know it, but it's uh, one from the Sonora Ponceña, Darber Garcia, which is an amazing band. And the other one for Victor Manuel, which is a young uh, up-and-coming. So the band was packed. It's packed. With the... When I did the recording here in San Diego, I was taking, I was doing a degree in in uh, web design and interactive media to enhance the, the band. And I used Derek and Dewey, uh, Eric Dewars, an amazing trombone player from here. Um, a lot of really good local musicians. And we did it, I did it as a project, actually. It was one of my projects in class to do the recording when I, when I had to learn recording. And we have an amazing studio, or had an amazing studio down there in the Art Institute of California. And that's how we did the first draft of, of Padre Querido. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's a real honor to get to know you and learn about your history. Um, I'd like to play one of your tracks after this, if that's okay. I'd like to play El Mero Mero. Yes, that 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 would be great. I, I'd love for you guys to to get a listen to this. So here's a sample of the song El Mero Mero from the album Padre Querido. Que traigan. 